When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor, and what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show, so you can see you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So for instance, we can have polls, we can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just, uh, that's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, and if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Adulting Well Podcast. I am your co-host, Joshua, and I am joined, of course, as always, by Kevin McCracken. How you McCrackster. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, so today on the show, we have Jesse Townley. Um, Jesse, uh, also known as Jesse Luscious, uh, DJ, um, band member, uh, singer for Blatz, uh, Grups, The Criminals, The Frisk, The Pathogens, Scene Killer. I don't know if I'm missing any there, but you've also worked at Alternative Tentacles, Fat Records. Uh, you've been on the Berkeley Rent Board, which is something I want to talk about a bit. Um, currently, and for a very long time, a DJ on KALX. Um, many, many more things. Uh, you've been on the Green Party Steering Committee, uh, coordinator at Gilman, booker at Gilman, volunteer at Gilman. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, uh, Jesse, welcome to the Adulting Well podcast, and thank you so much for making the time to do it. I know you're in Nottingham, and uh, no, this no is, problem. Uh, yeah, as, so as, as they say, the, the the list is thousands long. It is thousands, <laughs> it's thousands long, and also one of my great defenders in my uh, many many troll uh, uh, threads on on Facebook. <laughs> oh no, really? Do you get in there with Kevin? Jesse actually comes in with the like the very logical like you know, this is the facts, dudes, you know, like just relax. <laughs> Sometimes he has to throw out the F word, the, the fascist word, but n- n- you know, not as often as I, as I do. <laughs> so Jesse, welcome. And I'm going to, I'm going to just kick it over to Joshua to have our, open our, our show today. So go ahead and, and throw your first question at him. My first question is a comment that one of the funniest things I ever heard was I went and saw Rancid 
way 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 long time ago and you were in the crowd and you kept asking them why op ivy broke up like you kept shouting why not ivy break up it was one of the funniest <laughs> fucking things i've ever heard and uh the other thing is um what kind of kid were you like where'd you grow up were you were you did you have a lot of friends were you by yourself just kind of kid uh, i grew up in philadelphia um I was born in New Jersey, moved to Philly in when I was three and uh, then moved away when I was 18, 18. Um, Oh, you were there a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up there. I mean, you know, it was no moving around for me. Um, The uh, I guess I would say that I was definitely a a, a nerd. Uh, I read a lot. Uh, All of my family are involved with words. My Grandmother was an English teacher. My mom was a librarian. My dad is a writer and English professor at different times. I mean, he's been a writer and poet for since day one. He was in the middle somewhere. He was uh, a professor um, at a university called Drexel University in Philadelphia. And then he also did a, uh, 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 what do you call it, an exchange program with a, a university in Chile in Concepcion. And so in 1978, he went down there for a year. And then my mom and I went down and visited him in 1978. I was eight. So you can do that. Yeah. Um, So that was the first time I ever saw uh, real submachine guns because it was Mm -hmm. in the midst of uh, the Augusto Pinochet dictatorship, Mm -hmm. which as we know, the CIA, (laughs) Henry Kissinger um, uh, encouraged uh, because it was just way too much that a uh, South American country could actually elect uh, somebody to the left of, you know, FDR, you know. What does fascism look like to an eight-year-old? Lots of machine guns. And um, my last name, Townley, uh, is the same name as the uh, American agent who allegedly killed Salvador Allende, who was the democratically elected socialist. So when I first met uh, a bunch of kids in Concepcion, we were all outside playing. I had my little uh, Spanish English dictionary. Um, I told you I was, I was, I was a geek. Um, <laughs> uh, and we we're trying to talk to each other. They were like, my, my, my dad had warned me about this. Mm-hmm. They're like, what's your name? I said, Jesse Townley. And they all like kind of shrunk away. It was like, you know, like a cartoon or something. And I was like, no, 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 not that one. Not that one. And they were like, oh, okay. And they all came back. It was kind of like the group, group W bench kind of thing. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, uh, but well, I'm I'll, just saying you know, most, most people in America, most Americans don't get exposed to something like that. Ever. No. True. So when we talk about fascism, when we talk about it, we're talking about things we read about and we're talking about things that we don't want to happen, that we've heard happen, but not that we've seen happen, you know? I mean, look, we were like a, a white American professor family. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we were in no danger of anything. Um, so let's, I, I don't want to overstate anything at all, but at the same time, but like even seeing machine guns in the streets is, it like, was crazy, you know, but then again, look, I mean, I went to, um, uh, when I went to Paris, that's the first time I saw machine guns in a subway. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I mean, it's just a matter of militarization of law enforcement and, you know, and like what they're facing, like, you know, in that case they were facing, you know, uh, threats of who knows threatening to bomb who knows what, you know, um, 
I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying there's different uses for submachine guns in some ways. Sure, <laughs> you know, sure. Sometimes yeah, it's yeah. to enforce a you know a, a fascist state. Sometimes it's not to or to. Uh, yeah. This is a tangent. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> so it's okay. I mean, I think it's it actually plays into even today though when you see some of these guys at protests like these pro Trump protests saying mm-hmm. shirts that say Pinochet was right. You know, I mean, and we're talking about a guy that was throwing his political adversaries out of helicopters and, you know, killing all artists that had any lefty leanings at all. And, you know, when Mm -hmm. I tell, when I tell people like, it's so ironic that um, they don't get the fact that fascists and authoritarians always go after artists first when they're saying, Oh, Hollywood shouldn't have a voice or, you know, a musician should shut up and play, you know, and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, but, People like Pinochet, Hitler, etc., always went after artists because they were the closest connection to the people. Because and, and they people, were, and, and they were, if I could, they were also almost always on the left or on the bleeding edge of anything that would I would say is opposed to fascism. So, uh, you know, in, in the Weimar Republic, you had you know the insanity of you know Babylon Berlin, you know, and you had just things that weren't seen in at least Western civilization until the sixties in the U S in terms of, uh, sexuality and, um, hedonism (laughs) and all kinds of fun stuff. But I mean, you know, and that really offended the, uh, social conservatives. And so they made a pact with, uh, Hitler's, you know, Nazi party because they saw what Mussolini was doing over in Italy. Cause obviously Mussolini predated Hitler in terms of being in power. Um, but it, it it's the same thing here. Like when I see um, those assholes, uh, the, the alt right, whatever, PR is PR, I guess. Um, public relations, not punk rock. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you know the the newest neo Nazis or fellow travelers of neo Nazis, whatever you want to call them, um, wearing Pinochet was right T shirts or like helicopter emblems. It's mm-hmm. like you are forwarding a re- incredibly inhumane practice, a way of killing people that is horrific. And if you had any ounce of self-reflection or any ounce of self-awareness or an ability to empathize with others, you would never, ever put that on your chest or on your baseball cap or whatever the fuck, your flak jacket, like you're going to fucking fight the fucking military. Ugh. Anyway, it, but, but because, um, my dad had that, it's funny that this that came up cause I, I almost never talk about the, the Chilean thing. Um, because of that, I was really aware whenever Chile came into the news. And so, um, and my family, like my mom, um, she went to Antioch college in Ohio. And part of their thing is they have a co-op program right. where you, you go to school for six months to a year and then you, um, go to somewhere outside of the college and do uh, six months to, to a year of work. And so she did her, and actually now there's, this is definitely a, a, a trend. Uh, so she did her year away, um, in Spain in the sixties mm-hmm. in Granada. So there you go. Another fascist, uh, Spanish speaking country. Uh, <laughs> so I was, I guess, I was brought up to be really aware of uh, Spaniards, people speaking Spanish who are fascists. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's not funny, but it is kind of weird. Now that I think yeah. about it. I mean, so how, um, you know, you, you had, it sounds like you had a pretty interesting childhood and, and obviously your parents were, you know, they were, if they were into words and they were traveling to countries to do these exchange programs, they were also in, probably incredibly connected to world politics. How did this kind of play into you getting into punk rock? And when did that happen for you? Sure. I came into punk rock from politics. Um, I mean, my whole family, my grandma, she was a wave in World War II. And she um, she she tried her best. Uh, she was an FDR Democrat. Mm-hmm. And she was incredibly progressive for her times. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Yeah. Um, and so she instilled in me the uh, fear of not God, because we were always lapsed. Um, <laughs> if I ever said something... Um, that she disagreed with or he kind of raised an eyebrow, mm-hmm. I would have to be sure to be able to defend it. Otherwise I would be just verbally, you know, in pieces on the floor, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know? So I learned re- really quickly to be able to stand up for myself and more importantly to have um, something behind me to stand, to, to, to support me to, right. and so that's why I, I kind of between that and reading a lot, like, gravitating towards a lot of facts and a lot of that's a good lesson i think a lot of people like me find themselves in a place where they go no and the other person goes why and i'm like i don't know but i know it's wrong i have to go to the internet and look it up right but no but i was i was was always able i was always forced to back what i had to say Um, Mm -hmm. and um and then punk rock like you know you have a lot of opinions and you're young I was young. Uh, mm-hmm. I got into it because I liked hard rock. And then um, all the weirdos and freaks hung out together in my school. Um, so there was like the hardcores, hardcore punks, like two of them, mm-hmm. maybe three, depending on how you count. Uh, same with, and this is in Philadelphia, center right. city. So like, this is not like Iowa, you know? Right, right, right. Um, but like, like I was in the chess club. I was in the fencing club. You know, we had like all the weirdos and the gay guys who hadn't come out yet because it was the eighties, you name it. Like, you know, and our school was actually really, it didn't have a lot of that, like jock versus punk stuff like Mm -hmm. in terms of violence, but there were definitely layers and, uh, there was definitely a hierarchy. I mean, it's, it's teenagers, right? Sure. High school. It's going to happen. Um, yeah. Adults don't have hierarchies. <laughs> right. Never. Um, but yeah, but so like I would be hanging out with whomever, like the weirdos. And like one time uh, in study hall, like a weirdo uh, was humming, I uh, was singing big lizard in my backyard. Or, I mean, I think he was actually singing bitch and Camaro. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, it's a song by the dead milkman. And I'm like, who are they? And he's like, I'll give you a tape. And yes. so, he You're gave me yeah, it was beautiful. It was like one side was fed the milkman, big lizard in my backyard. And the other side was sex pistols. Never mind the bollocks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh, here we are. This yeah. makes all the sense in the world because like I was already into like metal and especially hard rock and like Joan Jett and ACDC. So it was already primed. And I was like, Oh, this is much further. And then like when I first heard black flag, I wasn't quite sure that what Greg Ginn was doing was music because of the distortion. <laughs> yeah. Like it was just really weird. And so, you know, across that with being a teenager and then suddenly being able to go to shows and like, suddenly like the guy on the stage or the woman on the stage is right next to you for the next band. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it was like, not like going to see ACDC or Joan Jett. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, So, and then politically a place called wooden shoe books in um, Philadelphia (laughs) was uh, my home away from home uh, before I moved out and started squatting in Philadelphia. Um, So politically I was already, I was raised by classic Northeast liberals, you know, who went to candlelight candlelight vigils in the sixties. And then by the eighties, it was clear to me and to my friends and peers, well, this isn't enough. Like you have greed is good. You have all this insane stuff. You have Reagan, you have uh, Mm -hmm. nuclear missiles that are about to kill us at any moment. Um, Clearly holding hands and and seeing Kumbaya didn't work. Didn't work for Gandhi. He's dead. Assassinated. Didn't work for MLK. He's dead. Assassinated. Mm-hmm. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it was really right for me to be like, especially as a teen, to jump right in. Uh, you know, with both both feet, and I did. Yeah, makes sense. How I mean, did you make the jump to Berkeley in the East Bay? Uh, I moved from Philly. I went to Antioch College. Followed in my mom's footsteps for uh, three months. My three month collegiate career. <laughs> uh, Sounds and familiar. I realized I had a really, actually, I had a really great class about fascism. Uh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Uh, so that gave me a little more background. I already had a lot of reading about anarchism in, in my, uh, in my uh, toolkit, mental tool, toolkit, but that really helped me kind of fill out some of the uh, underpinnings of fascism historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then I went and visited, I went back to Philly went back to squatting and I went to visit my friends in Chicago and then my beautiful, beautiful, wonderful Mustang broke down in Chicago. Uh, and it was winter. Well, okay. It was spring. So it was like <laughs> March. So it was snowy. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I finally got everything fixed about a month later. So I was able to come back, uh, to Philly and then went to New Haven to live with friends and to manage my friend's band, uh, in March, no, April. So by May, I was up in New Haven, Connecticut, armpit of the world. Um, and then that's where I first met David Hayes because I was booking this band's tour from mm. Connecticut to uh, Chicago and back. Uh, and then David Hayes, I was going to have them meet up with Plaid Retina somewhere in Illinois. Yeah, it was this weird. Underrated lookout band right there. Yeah, great, like, great, great. Incredibly band. underrated lookout band. Yeah. Um, in, in a great live band. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that band never went, in, never went on tour. They still owe me 200 bucks, but I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I decided to move out to, uh, California to join an art magazine. And at the time in the eighties, there was kind of like a, I don't know the best way to put it is like a radical activist circuit mm-hmm. where like, for instance, in, I think in 88, there was the, the, the presidential conventions mm-hmm. and each one of them were a stop. And then there was the Toronto anarchist gathering and there was a thing called peace fest in Chicago that I actually went out and I met uh, my friends there. Like they came up, for, I think I want to say the democratic convention was the week before peace fest in Chicago. So we met, I didn't want to go to that. So I went, I met them in, in, in Chicago. That's the first place I saw scooching weasel outside at this big thing called peace fest in the, like along the lake somewhere. Would people go like to festival to festival? I don't call them festivals, but from, yeah, from really, they would go from like, yeah. And it was like this whole thing. It was like the anarchists and the weirdos and the freaks and the political 
um, people on the left or the 90 or people who thought, thought themselves outside of left and right. Yeah. Um, and then, so the next year, 89, um, there was an anarchist, the anarchist gathering in San Francisco. So I was like, well, I'll go out there and that'll give me a chance to move my stuff across uh, the States and I'll join an art magazine and it'll be great. <laughs> and I, instead I went uh, to the anarchist gathering, uh, went to Gilman, for the my first show there was with was the Anarchist Gathering show at the MDC Condemnation Political Asylum Yeasty Girls, and I didn't leave for a couple of decades. Basically, <laughs> I never joined an art magazine, but I did end up doing a lot of bands and a lot of radio and um, working at a lot of uh, music places like uh, like you said, you know, Alternative Tentacles. I worked at Lookout uh, uh, Fat Records, and now I work at Package Sounds where we actually manufacture records and CDs. Awesome. And yeah, uh, I've been really, really lucky uh, and uh, been able to kind of make things fit somehow. Yeah. I mean, well, it sounds know. like you hit the ground running, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I like that. Do you think there's still, are there still these activist gatherings where people are going and like every year they see the same people and there's these relationships based around these, this like deadhead, but activist tour. Yeah, I think there is. Um, not this year for obvious reasons. Right. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's always different fests and like, you know, for different people, like sometimes like things like warp tour would probably fill the bill. You know, um, I would, maybe that would be part of a circuit. Right. Um, right. I, I, I don't know. Cause like that wouldn't have been part of my circuit, but it, it was definitely political, but I think now it's more like there's skill shares and you have music festivals where they have Skillshare workshops and this is and that's, and then at night they have, you know, all these crazy bands play. Yeah. So I think, well, which, which I think is like much more fun. Like, I mean, like you go to like a, a presidential convention and you kind of s- stand around and then you hope not to get beat up. Yeah. Well, and that, I think it also played into like the, when the WTO was in Seattle and the Republican National Convention in New York City, like a lot of the same people were there because I was in New York and a bunch of people were, you know, it was like kind of the same crew of people, you know, and I know, you know, Ben Sari and some of the guys that moved to Santa Rosa. So, you know, and I feel like, like, but back in the time you're talking about, a lot of the organizations work together, like anti-racist action, you know, the, the animal rights groups. Um, and then like, we got all of our civil disobedience training from earth first, you know? Uh-huh. So it felt like everybody was sort of like, if you were in that group, like you would go to the peace and justice center and get some kind of like skills training there in Santa Rosa, you know, someone would come out and t- teach you exactly how to react. If you were arrested at a protest, you know, someone would come out and teach you what to do if you were tear gassed at a protest, you know, which the cops say they don't do, but obviously they do. Um, you know, so it was, I felt like the, all of the groups were like less sort of like divided and, you know, in, in many ways, like in some ways people still are connected, but I feel like a lot of times there's like, I go on like these vegan boards now and it's just like, it's bananas. You know what I mean? Like there's people on there like putting up like light worker crap about Trump. You know what I mean? I'm just like, you know, white vegans have a race problem, you know, and they get, people get super upset with me and I'm like, but it's true. Like having been a vegan for 30 years, I can tell you right now, white vegans have a major race issue and you know, they, whether they like it or not. And I feel like a lot of that was 
trained out of us in many ways, mm. like back then, because there were so many, like we had an indigenous group come out and do trainings on, you know, how to be an ally to indigenous groups. Like it was like, there was like a lot of like interaction and people just felt, you know, not that it was the good old days, but you know, it just felt like there was just, because there was no internet, you had to do this stuff in person and you had to connect on a, on a level that was a much more human level. And I think this year is really, screwed that up, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, like, you know, it's harder to do over zoom. It's harder to do over, you know, this kind of stuff. Right. But, um, I I'm curious. So you got, you were, you got out here in, you, did you say 89? Yeah. Okay. So you uh, before, were you, before, could I just say that? I think you mentioned the native American, I think the, the whole, um, the issue of water and, uh, the, the oil pipelines in the Midwest and across, uh, the middle of uh, Canada, that too, like that's a huge issue. And I think water and the, the connections between the, uh, the global North and the global South mm-hmm. um, are, I think that's where a lot of this is still coming to a head. And I, I think there's a lot of places where people see familiar faces politically um, in, in these circles. So I, I don't think it's like, I think it's just different, faces in different places. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's really cool. It's nice to have that connection, you know? And, um, so 89 Gilman was really kind of ramping up at that point. Like there was a lot going on. Um, obviously a ton of the records came out in 88, but the early lookout stuff, 88, 89 was like, that was major, major time there. I mean, kind of in the middle of like the uproar about, you know, Operation Ivy and, you know, like how Why there were some amazing that? bands. I mean, you know, and, and obviously there's, I, I still think there's amazing bands coming out of Gilman and, you know, I've you definitely I've, are. Yeah. I was lucky enough to play a show with a couple of really young bands, like right before this pandemic hit in February. And I was just blown away. I'm like, these guys are killer. They're like amazing musicians. They're like talking about things that are relevant. And, you know, it's just like Gilman seems to continue to breed that kind of like awareness and talent. And um, so what was it like to be there? I mean, you know, obviously I've got my stories, which are a little different because I was in the North Bay, but I, so I was there, you know, at a lot of shows, but, you know, I went to very few volunteer meetings because it was just such a drive at that time in my Volkswagen bug. But, um, Talk a little bit about what it was like to be there in, in like 89 and how you kind of got involved in volunteering, coordinating, you know, cause you did a lot, you played a lot of roles. You wore a lot of hats yeah. there. So, well, I ended up finding a place to live literally down the street, uh, at sixth and Gilman and Gilman is at eighth and Gilman. Yeah. So a block and a half, uh, uh, West. So I could be there a lot. Um, but I mean, I think part of it is just being a teenager and being, uh, exposed, like I had only been into punk rock since 86. So this was a year three for me, uh, and of punk rock. So it was still super new and I was still really just omnivorous, like whatever I could find out more and more and more. And like, especially where for me, politics was always really, really important for art, um, to have relevance. Like there's always hmm, a lot of art has no, obvious political uh, content and can be super awesome. Okay. Let me be that. Like, let me make that very, very clear. But at the same time, like when it was able to um, involve all our art, especially with humor and especially in a way that was accessible and not boring and PC. And let me say, when I say PC, I mean it in the, 
the old leftist way where leftists would make fun of other leftists yes. who were dogmatic and overly serious. Um, <laughs> and we call them politically correct. And it wasn't the mainstream hadn't discovered the term yet. Right. Uh, you're you're so, talking anyway, to the, sing, so, the singer for engage. So I don't need, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, <laughs> but Brian engages infamously. Yes. Yes. And I'm sorry. And I played in Siren with him, so <laughs> switched so, yeah. to drums. You know, helped him do research for some of his articles. Oh, boy, but that's his shtick. That is his shtick. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny though. Was he always made fun of identity politics back then? Even then, you know, and now he's even more like on it. But I still talk to Brian a lot. So awesome. Well, um, tell me, I will, I will. But um, I'll so tell, tell him I'm, we're, we're we're joshing him uh, with with love. Yeah, no, of course. He's come up. He's come up a few times. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that one of your bandmates actually called "Engage the Van Halen of Hardcore" at one point. So, but we'll get into that when we talk about talk about your bands. <laughs> um, but anyway, but so what I'm what I'm basically trying to say is like it was a crazy time. Just like it could have been anywhere. Yeah. But me being nineteen, twenty, with like all these other nineteen and twenty and twenty three year olds and. 15 year olds and just everybody is in this mad buzzing hive of activity and villainy. Uh, it was great. Um, so I think anywhere it would have been insane, but I think the fact is like, I've said this a lot of times to a lot of people, Gilman did not have a, and the East Bay did not have a, any kind of, uh, 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 stranglehold on talent or awesome bands or anything. It just, we were lucky in that we were across the Bay from maximum rock and roll and in a place where a lot of people visited. So a lot of people saw what was going on. And if we didn't have a Maxim Rock and Roll or a Maxim Rock and Roll radio um, or all the other kind of like built-in uh, music outlets in the Bay Area that was were being watched on a national level, mm-hmm. uh, nobody would have even notice what was happening in Berkeley at the corner of 8th and Gilman. Nobody, except for other punks, you know? Um, like, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. I can name you half a dozen bands from Philly that are incredible and criminally underappreciated. Dead Milkman are actually one of them. They're the most yeah. appreciated, but like bands like Ruin, uh, McRad, uh, Morphemes, um, just a ton of bands. Um, and it, it really is still stupid. Uh, that's reaching deep. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and that, that continues to, to today. Like, you know, every single city uh, and a lot of the smaller towns have like awesome bands that nobody will ever hear of, but, but okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, it was crazy. We were a community and uh, the Gilman community is st- still exists completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm part of the uh, elder States person mm-hmm. Gilman community. Uh, uh, well, physically I can't go there cause I'm, 5,000 miles away. But, <laughs> but, uh, even when I lived down the street, uh, in Berkeley until 2019, um, I was there, yeah, you know, maybe once a month. Yeah. Well, and you helped, you helped get, uh, get Green Day back on that stage, didn't you? To some degree or another. I, I thought it was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was interesting. I think we had some, some back and forth about it on I mean, online. When I, it went down. It I was surprised. It, it turned out fantastically. Yeah. Like uh, people like Kamala and I were both very uh, nervous about it becoming a known thing. 
Right. And then having 8,000 people sure. just cram the streets around right. 8th and Gilman trying to get in. And it would mm-hmm. just be madhouse. There would be cops. It would be ridiculous. There would be, it would just be really bad really, for really, Gilman really, too. Really awful. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, at this point, that's the only re- reason, like, you know, p- er, most people listening to this, um, grew up with, uh, green day on a major. So it's not that big of a deal. Like it was to my generation and to your generation, you know, um, it was a huge yeah, deal. That still, you know, sticks in my crawl. I don't think that signing to a major is a good idea. And I don't like how, where the money goes for some of it siphoned off for people who make the tools that fascists use. I'll go further. Green Day signing ruined the Santa Rosa music scene. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. There were no there were no glossy photos before that moment. Like yeah, punk well. bands did not <laughs> everything I, changed. I, I can't begrudge musicians wanting to make a living for what they do. I mean, I just can't, even though I did a lot of writing and we did a lot of like protesting it when, especially when I was in Siren and, and Engage. And, you know, I do have a question about that time at Gilman. Who in the hell booked Engage with the Dwarves? Who, who was the mastermind behind that one? I, I would me. love to figure. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds like something I would do. Yeah, totally. It was, it was like the craziest combination of, it was me and them in the, in the side room getting paid. And you can probably imagine what that conversation was like after we had on stage very vocally said that we were going to give our money to Berkeley women against rape during our set. And we, so the dwarves spent most of their set calling us PC. So, <laughs> um, so the That's end of the, the proper use of PC, by the, the way, the end, I think it was like a weird matinee show too. That was the other weird part about it. It was like a three o'clock start time or something on a Sunday. Oh, but, so it was um, a Sunday show. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but it was like, I, somebody actually sent me that flyer not that long ago and I had forgotten about it. And I was like, I thought to myself, I bet Jesse did that. I bet that was his doing. That seems Probably. like the right time frame. The w- right- w- was 15 on that? I'm, I'm Probably. I'm, I, remember, <laughs> I, I remember Scary Mike did a flyer for that. Um, that I yeah. have in my mind. Yeah, I think probably because yeah. we played a ton of shows with 15 at that time. That was like our, that was kind of our, because everyone would get all the long songs out of the way, you know, in one show and that would be that. <laughs> but um, it was interesting to be part of the scene up in Sonoma County during all that too, because we were taking cues a little bit. And also we got the the bands that were touring that wanted to play a second show in Northern California. So we would get, you know, like, you know, crazy bands like universal order of Armageddon. And, you know, we would get avail and, you know, even like rancid came up and played some shows, you know, and it was like one of those things, um, that was like so awesome for our scene because these were bands that people didn't get a chance to see very often. And that would keep them from having to drive down to Gilman, which was already going to be a sold out show. Um, and you know, see them in a larger venue or a very smaller venue. Like we had a veil the first time they were out at cafe this, you know, which I think held maybe like 30 people on a good day. And it was, there was literally people like up in the rafters of the, you know, because we had Among the Thugs come up and well, play. And Rancid played that place across the street. Yeah, sweet. Super small. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, you know, I mean, it was, we got the benefit of, and I was booking a lot of shows then. So I would be like, let's look at the Gilman calendar for next month. Because I guarantee <laughs> that sure. one of those bands is going to have a day off uh, before or after they play Gilman Street. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know. And yet, the, the Phoenix Theater. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Still place, there, so. Yeah. Totally. It's still there and it's, it's, uh, you know, hopefully going to flourish when, when we get back to live music. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Blatz. 
I mentioned Robert briefly. Robert, uh, you know, he, he called you the Van Halen of punk rock. He did, yeah, and I think he did it in his in his zine at one point. But he said it right to my face after we played at Gilman one night, and I was like, you know, that's a compliment, right? And he's like, yeah, I meant it as a compliment, of course. <laughs> like, yes, I mean, I'm basically comparing your guitar player to one of the greats of all time. Like, yeah, it's a compliment, you know. And um, but we got a lot of shut up and plays when we <laughs> played down at Gilman. Um, but um, so talk a little bit because an- again, like another you know, East Bay based band that just was an unbelievable, I mean, like your live performances were, are the, the stuff of legend. I mean, people still talk about it and, you know, I had the good, the good fortune of seeing uh, Blatt's play a, a number of times and it was never, ever boring. You know, it was always <laughs> like, holy shit, <laughs> did that just happen? You know, like it was always a really amazing performance. And I mean, you guys were, you were on your A, like your A game, you brought it and left it every single time you played. And so Thank talk you. a little bit about how that happened and, you know, kind of what the, cause it was an interesting cast of characters as well. Yeah. We were definitely a, a, a bundle of chaos uh, in a band, but I appreciate that. Like, honestly, like what you just said, um, it was never boring. That's exactly what my goal was like, it, like the whole, like no press is bad press. Yeah. I kind of extend that to being in a band. Like if you're in a band and people leave, not remembering you, mm-hmm. you failed. I don't, I don't care what your songwriting is. I don't care what your the cover of your record looks like. Um, I don't care who produced your record. If you suck live or you're not memorable live, more importantly, what's the point? You know, like I, you, you would see bands, play and just kind of stand there. And especially with like the emo, a lot of the emo bands, like mm-hmm. a lot of the indie rock bands, especially like they were like, Oh, we just have to write passable songs and have the right connections and the cool artist to do our r- record cover or whatever. But we don't actually have to put any thought into live performance where, right. which is where to me, one of the main, the main sources of energy and inspiration and, art happens in terms of music is live, you know? Um, it, it's, it seemed really insane to me that these bands would just get up there and just be like, just strum away. And like, yeah. And like, like you guys, like I've seen certainly thousands of shows. I've seen thousands of bands play at this point in my life. Yeah. Um, so especially for singers, like I am very, judgy is a strong term, but I think I'll own that. I think yeah. I'll take judgy. Yep. Um, I'm with I, you on this. 100%. I am 100%. 100% with you. When it looks like, in fact, it drives my friends crazy when they're trying to enjoy music and I'm just making comments like, did they not know they were performing today? Or like, <laughs> what's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, even stuff with like, where people like, okay, I'm not going to get into it because then all my friends are going to think that I'm judging them completely, which I'm yeah. usually not because of my friends. And I'm like, you have, you have a pass. It's okay. But people I don't know, like if the way that singers move and the way they, um, even stuff like how they interact with, like if they have water on the stage, you know, like in the middle of the song, are they going to turn away from the, and uh, yeah, like, okay, you've given me a lot of clues right there. A, that you're not really into the music right now, which is crazy to me because your band's in the middle of the song. Right. But B, it means that you're not about to burst into anything. You're just going to stand there like a lump in the middle of a song. It's like yeah. those are the kinds of thoughts that go through my head, yeah, just automatically. Um, yeah, 
so I, I apologize ahead of time to whomever I'm judging. They'll, they'll probably never hear about it. Cause like, I don't really talk about it that much. Yeah. Uh, but it, it does bug me and people close to me know that I do it. <laughs> um, but, but I'm always, and like, look, I'm not a, a, a vocal, uh, a, a strong vocalist. All right. Mm-hmm. I can't carry a tune. All right. Let me make that very clear. So I'm not talking about the skill involved. I'm not talking about if somebody has, a, you know, can hit a note. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about pure stagecraft and how they carry themselves on stage. Um, and that's something that I, I watch a lot for obvious reasons. Cause that's one of the only things I have in my, in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, it, I think it's a really good example would be, let's take a band like Fugazi. That music, if they were on stage, just, strumming it out no one would have yeah. gotten that in it was it would have been like wow their albums are great they're great musicians they would have been a musicians band for sure but they like basically ripped the roof off of every venue they ever played yeah and that was part of their allure i i think the same thing you know like like really you know if you look at it it um blats like are people going to buy the record without the like the package that comes with it i don't know i mean but the, the live <laughs> show i mean and especially at that like era of gilman street bands were fucking bringing it i mean it was like no like i felt like it was almost like friendly competition between singers to be the most outrageous on some shows not that people were being fake about it either because it's part of just being the lead singer of a band and you know i i actually much preferred the drums even though i think engage was an incredibly energetic live band like we didn't stand around and and those songs were fucking hard man but you know know, because of murray's pictures though even in santa rosa if i if you hadn't seen Blatz, you still pictured Blatz. Yeah, exactly. You, <laughs> you still knew. kind of, you still kind of knew, or your friend told you stories about it, or yeah. so it was still there. Yep, it totally was. So I, I just like that's the kind of stuff I love too, and I agree with you. I'm totally judgy about lead singers, especially ones that aren't carrying a guitar. You know what I mean? Like I, I can a little bit. I'm I'm a little more like okay, they're playing guitar and singing. That's really hard. Like I can't do that, so I have to have a little bit of like, you know niceness about it but uh, you know singers that are that are not i mean it's like standing there you know and I, like i went and saw off a couple of years ago keith morris still brings it every show like i've actually seen them a few times but the last time i was like it was right after trump got elected and you know i just was like i was wondering what he was going to say and he was like we're here to have a really good time and hopefully we can forget for the next 45 minutes about what the fuck is going on in the world you know so, because everyone's going to be too depressed, if not, <laughs> right, right, you know, and then he just, they just killed it. They were just unbelievable. And he's, what is he like? 60, 60 yeah, yeah. something. I mean, well, I mean, I, around the same time I saw DOA and dictators at Slim's like same exact same time period. And both Joey Shithead and Hans Dick Manitoba for all of his issues um, brought it. And they were very outspoken politically. And I was like, Half of me was like, I was a little like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it worked out. It like, I was like, <laughs> yep. Dave <laughs> you know. from MDC still brings it. Jello still brings it. I mean, you know, I can talk all I want about how much Jello talks between songs, but he like when they're playing, he's there, like he's killing it, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I think you're right. And, you know, it's, it, it's always funner to me. Like I, I'll listen to bands on record and I'm like, eh, I don't know if I love that. But then I see them live. I'm like, they're fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's yeah. usually because well, they have that it's charisma. A seeing, seeing a video of a band, like I do um, MMH radio. Now, oh, right. right. 
uh, mmhradio.co.uk every Monday night. And I try very, very hard to only preview bands audio Mm -hmm. and not see the videos because I don't, because I, because of that exact thing, like the visual adds to it. And it's like, you know, radio is audio only. So that's what I got to judge it on in terms of like how it's going to fit into the show. Like I can say this band is incredible. And you know, like with certain bands, I'll do that anyway. I'll kind of preview like, Hey, this is Arno core. This is why they are one of the best, one of the greatest bands on, on the planet. Just like their album title says, you know, for instance, um, (laughs) because of their live show, but you know, but they have the chops to back it up musically, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyway, but, but about blats, like we were very, like, we were very into humor. We were not very serious. We had a very deep, strong undercurrent of political knowledge and political, uh, thought, uh, that was often glossed over for the fuck shit up kind of stuff and hustler and stuff like that. But at the same time, we were all very political still. Cause like, I mean, I came from, I talked about my background, but also like everybody else came from either longtime political backgrounds or they grew up in punk rock, which was inherently political. Yeah. Um, and still is. Yeah. What, um, what were some of your, your favorite shows from back then? I mean, you know, especially ones that you played, like, are there, are there any ones that really stick out? Well, I love the, uh, we played, <laughs> we played people's park, mm-hmm. which, uh, for people from outside the Bay area is, uh, it used to be a parking lot. And then in the sixties, the hippies got pissed off at the university of California at Berkeley, which basically runs that town, yeah. uh, and ripped up the asphalt and made it a park. Yeah the university was really pissed off about it and there were riots about it. And finally, basically the people said, fuck you. This is our park. We're going to keep it. That's a really short version. Yeah. And it kept on flaring up over the next 40 years. It's still flaring up every once in a while. It does. Yeah. Um, every so well, often the university says they want to uh, build dorms on it or whatever, because you know, it's their land and they can do whatever they want. And the community says, fuck you. It's the community's land now. Right. You have literally, you're literally the largest landowner owner in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. probably find a place to put some effing dorms. Yeah. Or a parking lot. Yeah. yeah. So we played, um, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's the only time I ever played people's park. I mean, and people's park was a place where homeless people and hippies hung out. And a lot of the homeless were punks. Uh, a lot weren't. Um, it was a pretty varied mix of people, some wing nuts, some sane, uh, some down on their luck, some people just kind of living a life lifestyle uh yeah it's you know it was a really mixed bag so uh screeching weasel was in town to play gilman and probably it was probably because at the time there was like the bay area circuit there was like epicenter there was petaluma the phoenix theater there was um maybe the cupertino library i think Mm -hmm. uh santa cruz there was a vets hall yep so there was all these different places that a band could play like five nights to right. totally different people. And so bands like Screeching Weasel, uh, Chumbawamba, uh, Citizen Fish, um, 2000 DS, yeah. memorably because they left a trail of really pissed off people in their wake. Uh, they were like a squatter band from over here in England. And it, don't, don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but nausea. No, I, I think I have one of their seven inches. Yeah. Born against like all these bands would do this, the circuit thing. So we were able to find like, for some reason we found out that like, it must've been a July 4th thing. It was July 4th, so there was a, 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 a music festival at People's Park. 
Nice. And this was during the, this was right before or right after the volleyball riots. <laughs> the university wanted to put right. a, a volleyball court. And so the riots about that, whether or not they could do that. And it was the people's land versus, you know, yuppie volleyball players. <laughs> uh, it was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Just, anyway, so it was middle of the day, which was weird for everybody uh, in both bands. But we were like, okay, we'll set it up. So Blatt's set it up and we brought all the equipment and all the riot cops were on Haste Street, which is on the north side of the park. And we parked Marshall's old car, this big green beast on Dwight, which is on the south side, north side, south side. Yeah. On the south side of the park. And so we assigned everybody a piece of equipment. If the cops charged to grab the equipment and run south to Marshall's car and put it in the car. Like that's how unsure we were that anything would happen. Meanwhile, screeching weasels there. And they're like, okay, well, we're using your equipment. We have our guitars. Like we'll see what happens. Uh, and so (laughs) the cops, um, I mean, they were there in Reich, you're like all along his street and they were like, um, you know, you guys can't do this. It's legal assembly. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. And we're like, okay, fine. So we start playing. Mm -hmm. Because what are you going to do? Uh, I mean, you're there with your equipment. And it's turned on. Uh, your we hands were tied. I mean, come on. Basically, yeah. I was. We were, we were forced. So we play. They don't. Do, they don't do anything. Right. So we played our full set of you know 25 minutes or whatever. Then uh, Screeching Weasel got up. They played however long they played, and all the bands played. It was fine. Nice. Yeah, but that's it was amazing. A, but it was a well, really weird show because we we're all like, until the first half song was done, we're like do we have to run? Like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> a very, uh, you know, um, that's an awesome, awesome show memory though. And those are the kinds of things like, you know, you can't really, it's like those memories are so precious really, you know, like it's really like you're there for, for two reasons. So it's like, kind of like fuck shit up, like party as Blatz was the fact of the matter is there you are essentially protesting the, the next phase of the development of the UC, you know, in the middle of Berkeley. And for history's sake, I think it's important to point out too, that when the parking lot was put up, Joni Mitchell wrote her song, Big Yellow Taxi, about the, the UC taking over Berkeley, you know, with these parking lots and, you know, putting trees in tree museums. And, you know, and I know, cause the, even the reason I even am able to make that connection is because Jeff Ott used to talk about it incessantly. Cause there were times <laughs> where he was saying, staying in people's park and how the people took back after the Joni Mitchell song, they took that park back, you know, and um, you know, it's true. They, they ripped that parking lot right out of there. Hey, so, Kev, I just want to make you aware of time in case you want to get to any, uh, I do any want to get to some more. Stuff. Yes. Yes. So, um, we talked a lot about music. You also, uh, obviously, we've talked about your political, uh, you know, learnings young, but you continue your your political sort of, you know, evolution. And you've been incredibly involved over the years in the U.S. Uh, when you were here with the Green Party. I can imagine you're involved in, you know, something uh, equally as, as, you know, as progressive there, um, okay. as well as you were, you know, you sat on the rent board, um, in Berkeley, which I find incredibly amazing and interesting. Um, you know, and so it's not a lot of people talk about politics and especially online. And I always say like, you know, politics are local, get involved. It's really easy. And, you know, it's like kind of a hard sort of 
you transition, they get, you know, I get some people pissed at me, like I am doing stuff, you know what I mean? And it's like, but what are you really doing? Like it's, you can contribute $5 to a local campaign and it's a major difference. Like it makes a huge difference. I live in a, in a unincorporated area with 11,000 people total population. Mm-hmm. So if I walked door to door just on my street and handed out flyers, it would make a huge difference in any election. You know, right. so, you know, just kind of looking at that and seeing the things that you've done over the years. And, you know, I know we don't know each other well, but, you know, like you DJed at a show that one of my other hardcore bands played at, um, out in the mission, you know, and, um, you know, it also we should mention Scott, um, because he's been going through cancer treatment and I just yes. want to give him a shout out and he shout booked that show. Yes. Yeah, yep. Um, but you've been incredibly politically active. I'm going the long way around this. So just talk a little bit about how that sort of, cause it seems like it's something that really fulfills you as well. And I'd just like to kind of hear how you tie that into your, your daily life. Cause clearly it's in, it's, it's like, it's in the top, you know, three things in your sort of your, your life. I mean, uh, well, look, uh, I was like, you heard me talk about growing up in a political environment. Um, and for me, if I can sleep at night, I know that I'm probably doing the right things, whether it's work or just daily life or art or politics or whatever, if I can sleep, okay, it's, it's, it's good. And I, I I say that because it is like you say, like, it's a constant thing. It's a constant evaluation of what's going on and like what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and am I really doing enough and blah, blah, blah. Um, like, I mean, at, at my age, um, I've just got my first pair of Doc Martens. Okay. I've always wanted a pair of amazing Oxblood Doc Martens. I'm not a skinhead, but I just think they look awesome. And, um, my wonderful butter half got them for me and she got the vegan kind. Nice. So they're not even leather, which is great. Like, I've been vegetarian since 1988 yeah. and I try very hard to avoid leather in almost all things. Like I have a leather belt. It's usually all I have, uh, in terms of outerwear, uh, clothing of any, any type, um, is, is not, not non leather. Um, so I could see myself backsliding, (laughs) getting (laughs) oxblood docks that were leather, but thankfully I didn't have to. And I'm really, really happy. I was thinking about that last night. I was like, Oh, I'm so glad dodge that bullet. But, um, but for me, like Gilman actually, again, played a major role in reconnecting local politics with music and art and activism. Um, because before it was all Chile and Reagan and nuclear weapons and whatever, you know, very far away, you know, mm-hmm. um, for the most part. I mean, gentrification was the only thing that we saw really clearly in Philadelphia, in New York City, in places across the country where people were getting pushed out of the centers of cities. And it was just really bad. And it was really clear that it was just for capital's sake. And that was it. Uh, it was not for the good of the, the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides that, for the most part, uh, I was a lot of other things were really at, at, at a distance. Um, Gilman went through a whole series of political, political kerfluffles. And we had this guy named John Hart who showed up to Gilman to a meeting because he had heard about us. Cause he was a longtime activist at people's park. You see, right. it's all like, yeah, it's like, it's like a small town with all these connections. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what it is. Um, it's a small city, but basically it's a, a town. Um, so he had heard about us from, from, uh, people's park. He came down 
came down to Gilman, saw how it was run. He was really stoked that it was a collective. And the difference was that he had direct experience with um, politics, local politics. Like Tim Yohannan had a lot of friends in Berkeley politics, which is part of the reason why Gilman existed. Right. Because right? he had friends on the zoning board. Um, and so when we would run into problems with the beat officer, the beat police on our beat, John taught us how to go to the area coordinator and say, Hey, to our area commander, whatever the title is and say, Hey, officer, so-and-so is being really weird. We're trying to work with them because we want, we don't want you guys there. Right. And the cops were like, we don't want to be here. <laughs> we have like, right. you know, crimes and donuts to eat, you know, like we have real crimes and real donuts in our, on, on our ledger of things to do right. today. And, you know, you know, hassling some kids who are drinking in some bushes is really low on our list. Um, <laughs> understandable. Yeah. Yeah, and there is a donut shop right there. There is. Yes, there is. Happy donuts. Um, and so, you know, uh, so we learned that and we learned eventually when the area commander was being a jerk to go to the city council member in that area. Mm-hmm. And I was a resident of the area, so I got to talk to her a lot. Right. And you know, I was actually a voter yeah. in, for her. So anyway, we had a thing with the pyramid brewery across the street. Mm-hmm. They were going to move in. They were like, Oh, we don't have to worry about going street. They're nothing. You know, we'll just move in. And we were like, Oh my God, a huge yuppie brewery yeah. to use the parlance of the time. Mm-hmm. And we fought and we forced them to come to the table. Thankfully they're based in Seattle and they weren't hard asses and they weren't idiots. So it wasn't that difficult, but once they realized that, Oh, we have to deal with this weird place across the street called 924 Gilman. They came to the table and we figured it out. <laughs> we were able to come together and figure out something that we could give to the city council and the zoning board and say, this is what we want. These are the conditions that we want for them to open across the street from us. Cause we were here first right. and we um, are important uh, community resource and dot, dot, on down the line. And there was this place called Daikon electronics uh, across the street had been there for couple decades, probably they started expanding at the end of the nineties, you know, when, you know, the internet was going to make everybody super rich, mm-hmm. uh, some people super rich, but, um, they were like, they went, they didn't go to us. They didn't talk to us at all. Mm-hmm. They went to the economic development, uh, part of the city and said, we need to shut this place down on the corner. Cause they're, uh, frightening our, their patrons are frightening our workers. <laughs> and we were like, you knock on the door send them emails, whatever, call them, no response. So we were like, oh no, that's not going to go that way. So we took all the lessons that we learned at Pyramid, we applied them to Daikon and we killed them with kindness. We were like, we want to negotiate with you. We want to mediate with you here. Here's the city council person. Here's the, you know, we met with the police and the economic development people and Daikon wouldn't show up. Eventually they did show up because they had to, because <laughs> the city manager was like, Daikon, I can't do anything for you if you're not going to participate. This is a city. Right. Mm-hmm. Your neighbors. Yeah. And we were just like twisting the knife in there, you know? And we ended up having like basically when they finally came to the table, it was really a non event because they were like, oh, oh, okay. Huh. So, sure. Sounds great. Right. And then within, I want to say two years, but it might have been as long as four years, they moved to Richmond. Okay. They cleared out. And because they got a better deal from the city of Richmond and they moved there and after buying up all these properties and, you know, so it was like, okay, so city of Berkeley, you would have your economic development people, if we hadn't had our crap together would have 
destroyed an internationally known cultural institution for mm-hmm. some jackasses who are making circuit boards who don't even give a flying hoot about your city. Right. You were that to doing that. And so, um, yeah, that's a war story, I guess. But, yeah. but, and so for out of that, like, you know, my, uh, the people I was working with, uh, and I was a part, part of the green party at that point. Um, they were like, I, I was like, I want to run for city council because I am sick of these older people making all these decisions. Like there needs to need to be young people involved with this. And I was a middle-aged young person. I was in my thirties. Right. Uh, so, um, but still, I was still much younger than anybody on the city council. Let me tell you, like all baby boomers. Um, that, that, that has since changed by the way, which is great. Um, and they're like, okay, okay, we'll put you on a commission and then we'll go from there. And then I ran for city council in 2004 after getting a couple of things under my belt in terms of political, uh, um, political, um, um, uh, subjects and political, like I was like part of the disaster and fire safety commission. So like t- earthquake preparedness was very important. And, uh, I had also been running, a, a nonprofit called easy desert that, uh, serves people who are, li- who are disabled, who are living independently. So I had kind of the disabled community, uh, under my belt in terms of like people I had worked with and had contacts with and had worked on disaster preparedness for disabled people, you know, so I had a s- couple of different things that I was, I could be kind of a, an expert person for, right. I use those as stepping off points for my city council, uh, run, which was totally un- unsuccessful. I knocked on hundreds of doors, talked to, sorry, thousands of doors, talked to hundreds of people came in third out of three, but I mean, I still got like 1200 votes in, out of probably 6,000 cast. Not just that there's representation happening because you've been in bands because of other things. Uh, people like me here. Oh, did you hear, Jesse Blatt's ran for office and won or did this or that. You just hear these rumors and it opens yep. doors to, totally. oh, I'm a punk rock kid. I can go, I can go do something like that. Right. So, so whether you won or lost, it's, it's very powerful and there's no way to know like the, the full impact. But also, I mean, four years later, I was asked to run for, for rent board and I did, I was chosen to be part of the pro tenant slate, the progressive pro tenant slate in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. We won. That's amazing. Honestly, the pro tenant slate almost always all four or five uh, members of the slate win. I came in fifth out of five of our slate, <laughs> but that was good because that meant I only filled a two year slot. Right, and the the uh, uh, term limits are two full terms of four years each. So that meant I could run for reelection twice, which I did, and won both times. And actually, the second and third time. Uh, I ran, I got, I didn't come in fifth at all. Yeah. I came in first or second or third. Yeah. Like one year I came in first, another year I came in. It doesn't really matter because we we're all the same team. So whatever. But, um, but it was really nice to actually go up a little bit. In, I'm sure you know. it did. I'm sure it felt great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if but, anything um, to know you're getting better at campaigning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And name, and name recognition, yeah. which I think is even more important than networking. Um, but I mean, you mentioned, uh, Kevin, just giving five bucks is important or just flying a street in an unincorporated uh, county, uh, unincorporated part of a county, um, is important. Politicians, except maybe in huge places like San Francisco or Philadelphia or New York city, or maybe there too, I don't really know, are always short of help Mm -hmm. and 
people being in person helping out. Yep. So if you can walk up and say, Hey, I want to volunteer for your office or I want to, you know, can I give out flyers for you or whatever you start building those relationships and you start to meet people. Yeah. And it's not even like a, Hey, how are you doing? It's more like, Hey, you're somebody who's interested in what I'm interested in. And you, you, this other person over here, you care about this, um, issue and, you know, Hey, I live over here with this other person and we have this neighborhood thing going on. And then it builds on itself until you become known to a larger and larger group of people. And then you're a viable candidate, no matter what, um, I mean, within reason, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's always the last thing I'll say very quickly is about this is there's always, um, a difference between being an activist Mm-hmm. or a gadfly and then being a politician right. um as in being an elected and they're mm-hmm. two very different roles yeah um i think trump is a perfect example of an activist you small a activist mm-hmm. um he, yeah. he's a okay sorry uh, he's such a problematic figure in so many different ways yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in terms of using him as an argument or as, as an example um Wipe that. Yeah. Please disregard that, that <laughs> sentence. Um, that, 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 last, that last thought. Activists are great for pointing fingers and yelling at the city council or the school board or the rent board from you know from during public comment and for getting um, you know for marching and have, holding up signs and and doing a lot of the really really necessary work mm-hmm. to move politics forward. Okay. Um, you know, whether they're waving AK 47s, like some of these right wing activists or whether they're, you know, uh, blocking, uh, you know, uh, access to uh, nuclear weapon sites, you know, like the people, you know, um, it's all groundwork, you know, work on the ground out in the community. Um, when you're running for election, a lot of the times you're still an activist or you at least using activist language. But once you get into office, okay. Suddenly it changes. And a lot of people who have never been there don't understand the gravity of that change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like 180 degrees, but there's definitely a degree shift in your outlook and how you approach things. Because not only do you suddenly, are you suddenly on the other side and suddenly you're the man. I got that a lot when I ran. They were like, you want to be the man? I'm like, <laughs> look at me. Do you think I'll ever be the man? Yeah. Whatever. Um, but um, you're also dealing with your colleagues who you have to work with. Politics, at least in this sense, you know, when it's not a dictatorship, is a, a thing of compromise and degrees of moving together forward. And you don't get what you want. And the enemy of the pretty damn good is the perfect. And the activist always sees things in terms of perfectness. It's either yeah. perfect or it's garbage. Yeah. It's very binary. And being an elected is, is you can't do that. And last, you just mm-hmm. can't, I mean, mm-hmm. even, and that's why, you know, like watching as a green watching the democratic primaries with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and all these people from the left and watching my fellow friends, my friends and punks and whoever, who are supporting these different people be really pissed off that Bernie would vote for, I don't know, aid for Israel or something. I'm like, right. That's called politics. Yeah. yeah. That's literally how it works. And 
sometimes the sausage is really disgusting to watch being made, but the sausage still has to be made. And that's how you get things like a $600 uh, payout instead of $2,000 or $1,200 or pandemic relief in move the needle little by little. And and it sucks. I mean, (laughs) take take it from uh, somebody who, you know, came up in the anarchist bookstore, (laughs) you know, like it is really, really incredibly, I had such problems when I first got on the rent board because I would talk about justice. Oh yeah. From the dais. And, and the, the chair of the rent board at the time, wonderful woman named Lisa Stevens, longtime anarchist and green. And she would say, Jesse, you can't say justice from the dais because our enemies, the, the bad landlords, uh, Berkeley property owners association association are going to take that as part of their lawsuits against us. Right. You know, and I was just like, wait, what? Like I had no understanding of right. that level of opposition where you can talk about justice and the silliness of this situation where you can talk about something that you're doing isn't just, even though it's the law. Yeah. But somehow that's going to come back and bite you. And so there's more injustice because you're talking about getting justice. Right. You're following the law. It's just like this. Yeah. So I understand why it's difficult for people to follow along sometimes, but like it's, and I, at one point, some of my, towards the end of my time on the Berkeley rent board, I was seen as a more conservative member of your group. Of the oh, that's board. Funny. And I'm just like, are you guys blind? Like, what are you talking about? That's interesting. You know, the, the oh. problem is, like, I, I know the rules and regulations that we are bound by. Right. That's right. the problem. Right. Right. You're just playing. You're just you're doing the job. The game. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, one more thing. Real. I'm sorry. And you also have staff members, like yeah. the who actually run the city. Oh, right. 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 If you're an, if you're a jerk, it doesn't matter if you're the most politically awesome person. If you're a jerk <laughs> to them, you can find your way a lot more difficult. Yeah. Forward. Like yeah. it's just. It's just yeah. It's a whole nother thing. So we're um, we're over an hour at this point. Sorry. No, 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 no way, man. That was that oh, was yeah. exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, I'm glad we got that. Politician, yeah. I talk. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, it's it's good for people to understand. And there's a lot of people that listen that are, you know, sort of that have very strong political views, but me don't fully understand how it all works. And sure. you know, so I, I I appreciate it. I mean, I I'm I'm myself pretty involved in local politics, but it's like how much does that get you in terms of insider knowledge, you know? So, um, you know, it's really, it's really good stuff. And, um, you know, and the connection between punk and politics has just always been so obvious to me. And some people, you know, they're more of the fuck shit up kind of punks, which is totally fine. Like do it. Fuck hey, it. Wrote the song. Yeah, Thanks. exactly. <laughs> so, um, we generally just throw in a couple of things at the end of every podcast, uh, primarily that we give our Patreon money, um, if we get any to, um, Hospitality House SF, which oh, is cool. an awesome right. non nonprofit organization that I support greatly. And also, um, Kev, we're going to, we were doing that till the first of the year, but we're going to extend that a little okay. bit just, just while everything's so, so fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah, everything's still a little nuts. Um, you know, I just want to say too, we had a guest on uh, a couple months ago, Maggie Freeling, who does Unjust and Unsolved, and um, she covers cases that people are clearly uh, there's evidence saying that they they should not be imprisoned. One mm-hmm. of her uh, cases got uh, 
got his conviction got overturned um, in North Carolina, which is amazing because North Carolina can be a little bit of a you know red state, um, and their their criminal justice system is brutal. Um, so congratulations to Ronnie Long on getting out after forty four years in prison for a crime he did not commit. And so we we love to brag about our uh, our guests and about the amazing work they're doing. So I just want to give Maggie a, a shout out. She played her episode on her Patreon for all her. Um, for all her, uh, you know, subscribers. So we want to reciprocate with a thank you. And, um, you know, Jesse, just, we could probably have you on for another three hours. Quite for honestly. sure. We sh- and we should have you on we again. Should. Yeah. So we're, we're making a list of people that we want to bring back to kind of finish, you know, un- unfinished business with. Um, so if you're open to it, we would love to have you back on, um, sure. you know, in the next couple of months and just kind of extend this conversation. Cause there's a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about that I didn't get to. Um, you know, in terms of your experience and especially around the record label stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. you know, oh, there's all, bunch yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So thanks for making the time on a, it's, you know, seven o'clock in, in, uh, in, in England there in the UK and, um, AM yeah. or PM PM. Okay. I was just wondering if you were eating pizza at 7am, I was just going to be very impressed. <laughs> Yeah, my my last name's not Ramon, unfortunately. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, uh, Jesse, and maybe yeah, hopefully we can get you on again. And thanks for listening, everybody.